It is 11 o'clock, and we're still in the first round of the NBA draft. Cavs have done absolutely nothing. We're just sitting here, putting our thumbs, waiting, waiting, waiting for something to happen. They have a pick at 49. See if they, how they use that, if they use that, what happens the rest of the way. We also have plenty of other decisions to come this offseason for the Cleveland Cavaliers, and we're going to talk about all of it with our good friend, Evan Damarell, who will be joining us momentarily on the North Olmsted Chrysler Jeep Dodge Ram Hotline. That moment comes right now. Evan Damarell, Locked on Cavs podcast, of course, the Write Down Euclid newsletter as well, which is now award-winning. You won an award for that, didn't you, Evan? Yeah, I did. Um, thank you for recognizing it. I don't, I'm not one to really talk about the things I do, but yeah, for once <laughs> I uh, was recognized for the work I did and it was gratifying. And it's funny you mentioned that. Like as soon as you said it, I like snapped my head and looked at it sitting on the uh, bookshelf in my office, but th- <laughs> thank you. How are you, Spence? Yeah, man, absolutely. I, I'm always happy to give people their flowers. You, you definitely deserve it. I, I am subscribed and I don't read every edition, but when it comes to my email, I'm always like, I always at least leave it unread because I'm like, I want to go back to it at some point. And then some days oh. I have time and some days I don't. But uh, I can speak to the great work that you do. So I'm glad you got recognized for that. I'm doing well. Um, I don't know. Not a lot really different other than the fact that I now have a one-year-old at home. So dealing with that. But he's good. <laughs> well, that's good. Congratulations to you guys. Yeah. And one, one, year, one year of joy and playing more to come. Yeah, it's funny when you – like, I don't know what your future plans are to have kids or whatever, um, I, and certainly I'm not trying to – I'm not somebody who's ever going to pressure somebody or be like, oh, when are you going to have kids? I'm, that's You're not fine. me. But I, uh, I, I, I – the way I described the first year was that the days themselves felt very long, but the year felt like it went by really fast. Like, I was shocked that he already was a year old. I was like, what? And then I realized, like, all these long-ass days where you're just, like, up, up till – 2 a.m. because they're not falling asleep, whatever. Like, it's worth it, but it's just, it's a lot. So, uh, but it, it really is a blessing. And yeah, the first year has been great. But enough about me and my life as a, 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 a new parent. Uh, let's talk about this draft because we made plans to connect on this towards the, you know, after the first round. We kind of timed it out right because the first round's kind of wrapping up now because we just want to be mm-hmm. safe and make sure the Cavs aren't going to do anything. I feel bad. You've been sitting there all night like, you're uh, you're a drafty waiting for your phone to ring and you're just falling down draft boards. But um, doesn't look like the Cavs are making a move back up into the first round. Do you think that the move from here is simply just that they make a pick at 49 and that's it for tonight? Well, it's a little too real first and foremost. I, I've never been selected in the first round. I guess this will be another year <laughs> still for Still waiting point, for your call. <laughs> still waiting for my call. But, yeah, at, at this juncture, it looks like the Cavs won't be trading back in. I think they're at pick 29 or 30 at this point. And I know Brian Windhorst had reported, I believe Chris Seedor did it as well, to just that um, Portland at 23 could have been an option if you want to do Nasir Little or Jetty Osmond in 20, or then you get 23 in the process just for your trouble because Osmond's money isn't guaranteed if you waive him prior to a certain deadline. But, Maybe there was just a couple guys the Cavs had earmarked. Um, I, I know Brandon Podizinski. I always butcher his last name, but I know he's a guy who fits certainly the mold of what Cleveland looks for in players. And he went to Golden State, like in the late teens, early twenties. And I think if you're Cleveland, maybe the juice isn't worth the squeeze if 
you don't want to maybe take on long-term contracts and long-term money when you want to kind of maintain liability and flexibility. But thankfully, the way the draft has shaken up so far, the Cavs could have some options to maybe select a wing player at 49 or let's say they trade up into the second round a little bit. They can still grab a wing player, sign him to a two-way deal, develop him with Mike Garrity in the charge, and who knows, maybe he is more NBA-ready than we think and could make an impact this upcoming season. But if not, there's always the uh, follow-up season. I think one of the biggest pushbacks on maybe like how this is falling right now and drafting somebody in the second round that's going to kind of be a project is just the, – the question I think is, are, are the Cavs – at a point where they can afford to just kind of let somebody develop. Because they have a lot of guys who I think they're still trying to let develop. Dean Wade still is developing. Dylan Windler hasn't really become anything yet. There's still questions about Isaac Okoro's uh, jump shot. So are they in a position where they really can wait for a guy like this to uh, develop that they're maybe going to take here in the second round? So for folks who listen a lot on Cavs, um, you'll know that my co-host and I are a big proponent of you pay a lot of money um, to own exclusivity of the G League franchise. I know most teams do at this point. I think Portland finally entered the fold not too long ago, but that's neither here nor there. Or no, Phoenix is the only team that's left. But um, you have to figure out the next steps. But if you have this component that's essentially a minor league affiliate to let you develop these second-round players or guys that are maybe worth a stab. And you had mentioned Dean Wade. Like, that's a guy who they developed within the Charge ecosystem that became a rotation player for them. Uh, Lamar Stevens was a guy on a two-way contract who technically could have played with the Charge, but he never did. I know their head of PR uh, down with the Charge has joked that, like, he has a box of all the jerseys Lamar was supposed to wear for promo nights and never had to because he's always on assignment with the Cavs. But um there's definitely and or more than anything you look at like isaiah mobley now and i I personally believe that he's more than just evan mobley's older brother like he is a player the Cavs want to invest time energy and resources in to kind of make him a bit of a role player a bench piece for them maybe this upcoming season just because they kind of have to make that decision as free agency opens up in the next few days but it's certainly a fair argument when you look at it from the lens of, okay, Cleveland kind of has to make some moves now to win now more than they are probably already are just because Donovan Mitchell was their big get last offseason because you're trying to prove to Donovan Mitchell, like, hey, we hear you loud and clear. You're frustrated with how every season seemingly ended in Utah. And he definitely vented his frustration um, when the Cavs wrapped up their postseason rather surprisingly early against New York. And he's just like, man, I'm sick and tired of talking about how we'll be back and be better next year. Cause he's like, I want to go further in the playoffs. I want to make the NBA finals. I want to play for championships. He says all the right things. And publicly at least like Donovan Mitchell's talked about how like he's happy in Cleveland and he wants to be here. And I know people like read too much of him being a Mets fan and everything in between, but it's an interesting balancing act because the Cavs are a very young team and they are still developing a lot of their guys. Like, you had mentioned Isaac Okoro still needs to pan out as a prospect, and he's a bit of a pariah. Like, is he a trade ship, or is he a guy who's at least part of your semi-long-term vision? Dylan Windler is a free agent this summer, and I doubt he comes back just because he's hardly played for Cleveland at all in his yeah. career. Um, Darius Garland, though, like, he's still incredibly young. Like, he's still growing as a player and kind of finding his fit and mold next to Donovan Mitchell. Evan Mobley, we don't know what he can be as a player, too. It's just a weird thing where... The Cavs were a rebuilding team, 
and they suddenly became winner. I think a lot of that can be attributed to Evan Mobley being a defensive catalyst, of course, and I think Darius Garland just having an otherworldly third season. But getting Donovan Mitchell certainly made a statement saying, like, yeah, we're ready to hang with the big boys in the Eastern Conference, and then you get spanked in the first round. So there's a lot of internal recognition and just maybe things you have to do just to kind of make that more attainable for you. And maybe that's what the Cavs feel like. They they don't want to really like have to trade back up in the first round and take a guy that probably has guaranteed money. And due to the trickiness of his draft selection spot, like you can't sign him to a two-way contract. So you're taking up a roster spot with a rookie who may not play a ton, whereas you're probably prioritizing veterans that maybe – just push you over the edge ever so slightly, and you just have more than five viable players in your rotation at the time. Talking with Evan Tamarell on the North Olmsted Chrysler Jeep Dodge Ram hotline. So let's fast forward a little bit and pretend it's, I don't know, let's just say midnight, 12-15, and the Cavs finally make a pick here tonight at 49. They have a new player. Now what? What is next for the Cavs after tonight's draft in terms of moves that they can make this offseason and decisions that they have? Oh, it definitely, you should focus the free agency. Um, the Washington situation is fascinating because they already trade Brad Beal. They, um, they sent Christoph Porzingis finally to Boston at the zero hour last night. And it's by all indications that they're getting ready to rebuild. Um, I, I wonder what they're trying to do over there. But, you know, I, I don't run a basketball team for a reason. I just kind of quietly observe it. But you look at a guy like Kyle Kuzma, who is reportedly looking to make thirty million a year? I don't know if a lot of teams are going to be like that have cap space. It's like Detroit, Houston, um, teams like that. Like they, there's not going to be a lot of teams sign, like lining out to sign Kyle Kuzma to thirty million annually. And then you have to ask the question. And I was told this the other day by an executive, and I have another scout say something similar that. Does he want to make as much money as possible at this point in his career, or does he want to kind of keep playing winning basketball? Because the Wizards were a weird team where they were good but not great. They tried to remain competitive, but they were never quite competitive enough. And Kuzma was a guy who moved the needle a little bit. I think he was an impact player. So if he's able to warm up to the idea of the Cavs signing him to the full non-tax or mid-level exception, which is a hair above 13 million. I think that's an option for Cleveland. Um, if not him, you may look at Grant Williams, and I know people always point to the I'm going to make both situation, and he didn't make either of them, but that's a guy that just kind of fits the bill with the cast need at the small forward position or just a guy who can play that 3-4 spot and just give the cast some fluidity and creativity rotation-wise to kind of figure it out. And if I'm Cleveland, I'm throwing up as throwing as much money as possible in free agency, just that perimeter shooting depth on the perimeter, just so you have other guys out there and you sign or at least re-sign Karis LeVert rather to some form of an extension. I think it's pretty clear in the ether at this point that LeVert will be back on some form of deal. It's just fair to question what will that number be and how many years will it be? But you look at that and then maybe you take a stab at a younger point guard maybe you sign him to a two-way contract or he's a guy who is in that weird spot where maybe he's not quite entering his prime but maybe he needs an opportunity to just develop and grow a little bit and you kind of groom him as the heir apparent to Ricky Rubio because Rubio might be better this year just because he it takes a while to recover from ACL tear but 
I don't know. Cleveland, it's, that's the problem. Like, if they didn't get eliminated so early into the postseason, I would have way less questions about how they navigate this because they're in a very tough spot. And when the president of basketball operations makes it explicitly clear that there's going to be no wholesale changes to the roster or the coaching staff or anything, you're really working within very narrow margins. And yet sometimes Kobe Altman thrives in those margins, but it's, it's tough just because I don't think teams are actually looking to help the Cavs get better either because they're trying to be competitive as well. A few more minutes with Evan Damarell. I like that you brought up Kuzma, by the way, because I was talking with Chris on on Sunday, and he brought him up. And it was funny because Chris kind of said, like, he doesn't think Kuzma's going to sign for a mid-level exception. He probably wants more money, which is kind of what's played out. But to your point, is he really going to go for that with some of the teams that do have the cap space available? I want to pivot here a little bit because, you know, you bring up Donovan Mitchell, and I, I think one of the things, like, kind of where I'm at with this whole situation, because we know that the Cavs right now are strapped for assets. They don't have a lot that they can offer if they're going to try to swing any deals and make trades to make the team better. Did Kobe Altman, like, as we look back on the trade, did he, I don't have a problem that they went for it. I'm never going to fall the GM for trying to go for it and go get a star player like that. But did it, does it feel mm-hmm. like maybe they did, he pulled the trigger on a move like this too soon? Like that we maybe needed to see this team develop a little bit more, maybe particularly Evan Mobley develop a little bit more before we wanted to hit the start button on this championship pursuit where you add in a player like that into the mix. So to your point, um, Kobe Altman, at least the way this organization runs, they're very patient and pragmatic. I think they are in the mix for a lot of just players. and it just, they, they, It's not NBA 2K where you can just select a guy hit start and let the trade manifest, or you can just front load it with right. second round picks until a team agrees to a or a virtual team in this case or agrees to a transaction with you. But like I, I had a Cavs executive say that to you once like two K kinda rotted a lot of people's brains in terms of just trades. But um to shift back, like the, the the Cavs have always been a team that are patient and pragmatic where they will work the market a little bit. They kinda make it clear there's certain players that they have an affinity for, like Jared Allen and Maybe they approach Brooklyn back in the day, and Brooklyn says, no, no, not so no, not so much. And then it just it so happens that Houston doesn't want to take Jared Allen on board because they don't want to pay him the extension money because they're paying Christian Wood at the time, and they're casual to do that. And then it's a similar scenario with Donovan Mitchell as well, where it felt like a foregone conclusion that he was going to be at the Knicks, and maybe it was a little bit of the Knicks being a little too cute and signing guys like R.J. Barrett and Mitchell Robinson to extensions and making them uneligible for trade. And Utah just kind of kept Cleveland on the back burner, kept them in the loop, and said, like, okay, like, let's, let's talk shop, let's do a trade. And I think it helps Larry Martin had a really great year for the Cavs last year. I think Colin Sexton, despite not maybe being fully healthy and available for Utah, it's encouraging to see him back out there after missing the majority of last there were two seasons ago at this point with that meniscus tear. And Ochai Abaji... He was picked 14th overall. I, I don't think there was like a clear, super clear path for him to get like consistent minutes in Cleveland's rotation until he kind of figured it all out. And he started to figure it out at the end of the year. And sure, you can balk at the picks and everything. And it's fair to maybe be critical of that. But if you're going to get a star player, as you said, like 10 times out of 10, if it becomes available, it's remiss if you're not. It's a fireable offense, frankly, if you don't go after a guy like that, if it becomes available for you. And Again, like Evan Mobley is developing. He is, I want to say, a work in progress, but I still think he's trying to find what he can be offensively. 
defensively, he's so elite, and this is a defensive first team that Moldy, again, was the catalyst that kind of just Cleveland from where they wanted to be to where they actually should be as a team. And now they're kind of building upon that. But I, I still can't stress enough. Like, this is a really young cast team. They're still kind of finding themselves and figuring it out. And it's weird because, like, Donovan Mitchell and now Jared Allen, technically speaking, are the veterans in the locker room. And maybe you do need a couple more adults that are in, as my co-host would say, just to make sure that when things get tight, there's not a bunch of a mass panic and a meltdown. But I don't think there's any regret. I think, like, 10 times out of 10, you just say, like, there's no, there's no regret just because, sure. like, I, I have the stance of, like, hey, the Cavs may have given up plenty for Donovan Mitchell, but with how he looks at times, especially during the regular season, it didn't seem like it was enough. But if you have just, like, the lens of recency bias of, like, okay, he stunk in the playoffs, so did the rest of the Cavs. Yeah, there's just more questions than answers. And I think now it's just, like, you need to add depth around these guys because you are a top-heavy team and it's going to be tough to support them, but you have to find a way to do it. We're on a very limited time crunch here, so I'm going to ask you just a yes or no question straight up. Uh, Will the Cavs trade Jarrett Allen this offseason? Just yes or no? No. No. Okay. He'll be back next year. Uh, (laughs) Um... Real, really, really quick. Like, give me like a ten-second answer on oh, this. One more question, Chris Paul. How will we look back and talk about his legacy? So, if he wins a championship, I think he does get a lot of that just pressure off his back. But Chris Paul is one of the all-time greatest players, and I think it is frustrating sometimes because you can make the argument against LeBron that he isn't the greatest of all time, but he's certainly one of the greatest players I've ever seen because he's lost multiple times in the NBA yeah. Finals. Or, like, Michael Jordan did go 6-0, and but he did lose in the Eastern Conference playoffs, something LeBron rarely did, especially after he joined the Heat. Um, it, it's it's tough to quantify, and I've said this to you so many times on this show, but, like, ever since Kobe passed, like, I've just come to appreciate greatness in front of me, yeah. and Chris Paul might be in the twilight of the twilight of his career at this point, but I'm going to appreciate the fact to just, like, he has done so much for being such a small player and he has been just a fascinating story. Like everyone thought he was done for when he um, went from Houston, Oklahoma city and they had that slight resurgence. And then next thing you knew, he was helping lead the Suns to the NBA finals. Like he's just got such an interesting story. Yeah. He's a hall of famer. And at the end of the day, like, yeah, you want to win championships as often as you can. If you're not here to be great, what are you playing the game for? a bunch of cliches like that, but like Chris Paul is being sustainably great and probably a top 10 point guard all time at the end of the day. I think you're right. Evan Damero, Locked on Cast podcast, also the writer of the Write Down Euclid newsletter. Evan, the time always flies, my man. Enjoy the rest of the draft tonight. Try to get some sleep afterwards. Always appreciate the time. You as well, my man. Take care.